You're listening to Women Transcend with Jennifer Todd. This is a podcast that explores issues that affect women and girls worldwide. Each episode, we dive into a topic of national or international significance and discuss the particular impact on women and girls and how they are able to overcome or transcend. Whether you're a friend of the pod or a new listener, we're glad you found us. We bring Women Transcend to you free and without advertising every week. If you like the program, one thing you can do to support Women Transcend is leave a review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. This will help others find us as well. We also encourage you to be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that new episodes will automatically show up in your podcast player each week. We're doing something a little different for this episode. We're going to have a little discussion before we get back to the interview with my guest, Karn Anderson, who is a professor of communication at Colorado State University. So I have invited my very talented sound engineer and also happens to be my spouse to join me in a discussion about human trafficking part one. I'm the one who makes you sound so good. That's right. So human trafficking, did anything stand out in episode one for you, John Philbeck? Yes, uh, you know, a lot of things stood out for me. And one of the things that I was especially uh, sort of taken with is that people who are sort of ideal prey for these traffickers, that one way that we can try to keep them out of that situation is to highlight the ways in which they're valuable so that they aren't just sort of the old standby that their body is the thing that makes them valuable or, or their appearance is what makes them value. But they're you know, there's other things that can make people valuable in this in our society. Obviously, um, you know, by emphasizing those things and the ways that they can contribute, aside from just their appearance, that this is one way that we can try to get them out of harm's way. Yeah, that's really important. You know, in addition, maybe to the issue of human trafficking, that's just an important thing to keep in mind for girls and women in general. I think. To the extent that someone who is interested in trafficking will go to uh, lure someone in, the, the amount of grooming they do and how frighteningly adept they are at finding that victim, poking and finding the weakness. And, you know, everyone has weaknesses, right? I mean, we all have our own insecurities, and it really seems like these these traffickers are very adept at finding what each individual person's pressure points are, what their insecurities are that are going to make them the most compliant, and uh, and then also just sort of preying on their their trust or, or taking advantage of their trust, which is something that we, in ordinary circumstances, uh, we can think of as being generally a good thing. And we want to to feel like we're capable of trust, I think, and and they take advantage of that. Yeah, and probably one of the reasons why they prey on young people is that they're more likely to want to be trusting, and then finding people that not just want to trust but need to trust. They're so in such a plight, 
homeless or in a, a violent relationship or any manner of reasons that a person could be in distress. Yeah, having having friends or, you know, loved ones may be something that they don't have a lot of exposure to, sorry to say. And so someone that comes along and can sort of prey on that and, and offer them a kind of simulation of of love or uh, or friendship that can that can really go a long way. Yeah. And I think the other thing that really spiked my attention is the role of online activity and online grooming, which means that, you know, the target, the prey or the victim and the trafficker could be in vastly different areas of the world even. But if they can engage someone in an online chat or, you know, I'm sure they know exactly where to find the victim and look for key phrases like, uh, you know, I got so mad I ran away, um, staying with friends. You know, they're very practiced at this. They know exactly how to find a potential victim online. I found it very interesting in, in this discussion just hearing about the way that our online culture really has just changed trafficking dramatically from the solicitation aspect of it, but also in terms of policing, it makes it very, very difficult to police or even monitor these activities in some cases because they're so agile and able to move very quickly to evade monitoring and detection and policing. Yeah, and the online community is just the Wild West, and it's frightening you know, as a parent to think about how difficult it is just to monitor what children are watching, you know, what YouTube videos they're watching or what they might happen to stumble upon. But then to open up this whole different level of danger in the online environment where they might not just be exposed to something you don't want them to see or hear, but there's a, you know, a real possibility that they could become victimized through engagement with strangers in the online environment. The other thing I would say about all this is that it's fairly easy after listening to all this to kind of feel hopeless, you know, in terms of is there anything that we can do? But this is something that our guest was able to, you know, shed some light on. There are resources out there for people who are being trafficked. There are resources out there for people who want to to get involved in trying to combat trafficking. And, and really, the other surprising thing to me is the very important role that citizens play in monitoring these things, because in a lot of cases, the citizens, just the everyday people on the street are the ones who, who notice things that are uh, of interest to uh, law enforcement officials in, in trying to monitor and police these uh, activities. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. So, um, spoiler alert coming up in part two, we do talk about what can be done. And in addition to, you know, being the astute observer who calls the tip line, there are also legislative solutions that if you are concerned, you can get involved in. So with that, here is part two of our episode on human trafficking with Dr. Karen Anderson. Now, can we shift back to law enforcement? 
And one thing that I have spoken with vice officers about their frustration with human trafficking, and it's very difficult to police to catch people in the act of human trafficking. Can you discuss that? Absolutely. So you're right. This is an incredibly difficult uh, problem to address strictly through trying to police it out of existence. That's almost impossible. And there are a variety of reasons. So one of the reasons is that victims of human trafficking often don't recognize themselves as as victims of human trafficking for a variety of reasons. Um, If somebody comes from outside the country and uh, they come to the United States for a job and they haven't ever experienced, you know, anything resembling what we have in the United States for labor laws, they might not know that if you're being asked to work for 12 hours a day, seven days a week, that actually is in violation of our labor laws. They, They might have no idea of that. And they might actively try to evade law enforcement if they aren't here legally or if they worry about their status, even if they are here legally, but but don't really understand, you know, much of the dialogue going around uh, along, going ab- around about immigrant rights or, or whatever. Um, so or speak any English. Right. Yeah. And they may not speak English and they may come from a country where law enforcement is absolutely not trustworthy. So for all those reasons, they're actively trying to hide in many cases. On the commercial sex exploitation front, those folks similarly may not recognize themselves as being exploited. As we said, they don't end up in that situation if they have better options. And so um, these are people that if they've been shown some what they perceive to be care and concern, attention or love by a trafficker. They may be quite loyal to that trafficker. They may they may want to view themselves as a girlfriend or a mentee of that particular person. And so they might not want to testify against their trafficker. One defense mechanism for somebody who's been in commercial sex exploitation for some period of time is for them to decide to tell themselves, well, I chose it. These men are paying me for my body and that's and so I'm exploiting them. And even if that is not the case, that's a that's a way of kind of defending yourself against feeling like you're a constant victim. A third way that uh, a reason uh, that commercial sex exploitation is particularly hard to, to detect, even when the people involved recognize themselves as victims, might still be hard because of two things. One is that traffickers are becoming increasingly more mobile. Here in Colorado, there's a there's a loop, um, and and towns like Colorado Springs, Denver, Fort Collins, and Cheyenne, Wyoming, are all along the I-25 corridor. And what local law enforcement has has told me is that takes about three months to build a really good case against a trafficker, and that's a minimum. It, it often takes longer than that, but that's a minimum. And traffickers know this. So they will have a group of people that they are trafficking, and they will move those individuals every three months, and they'll just do a circuit along that I-25 corridor. So you're crossing law enforcement dur- jurisdictions, and it's really hard to to have a sustained um, investigative attempt that will be successful. And then the last reason that it's becoming increasingly hard to detect traffickers is that the bulk of commercial sex exploitation has moved online. Um, So it's not necessarily going to the rough part of town and walking up and down the street anymore. Um, It happens in very respectable hotels. 
It happens online. Uh, people make connections anonymously online and can meet in these hotel rooms. And so it's not something that is visible to us in the way that it might have been visible to us in the 1970s or 80s. Yeah, I have, again, in speaking with a vice officer in Maryland, uh, he mentioned that there were some hotels in the proximity of uh, large airports that were sort of set up as trafficking hubs and they would keep their victims in those hotels and that it was very easy if they got tipped off that police were on their way or or people were asking questions they would just move their product to the airport and they would be gone you know within an hour or two so um yeah so just thinking about trying to build a, a legal case to get you know a warrant or whatever um and they're they're just so nimble they can be gone before you have the the chance to drop a net around them Well, and that brings up an important point as well, that that's why citizen awareness and involvement is so necessary. Um, There was recently a campaign to train flight attendants for exactly the reason that you said, to spot if somebody might be on the plane in a trafficking situation. And so there, if the profile is an older adult with a young person, often a woman, but, you know, young men are, are trafficked as well. If it looks like it's a coercive relationship or he's telling her what to do or he never leaves that person's side or, you know, now not everybody in that context is a trafficker, right? But but if you know what to look for, um, that can help law enforcement. In our town of Fort Collins, um, which is just a medium-sized, you know, very suburban, safe college town, there was a trafficking ring operating out side of a massage parlor, right on the main drag, College Avenue, right in the middle of town, in a just strip mall with, you know, all kinds of other respectable businesses. But across the street from that strip mall, there was a beauty salon. And the stylists noted that there were a lot of men frequenting this massage parlor. And that's for for sort of legitimate massage businesses, the clientele often is more dominated by women. So to see men almost exclusively going into this kind of a business was a red flag. The other red flag was they noticed that the women who were working in the parlor didn't leave. They seemed to be there at night. They seemed to be there in the morning. Food would be brought into them. They didn't, you know, go out for breaks or anything like that. And so they, the stylists called our local law enforcement and just reported that. And that led to law enforcement not only identifying trafficking in that business. Um, but there was actually a statewide ring of traffickers operating that that business was the sort of foothold in. Um, the trafficker in that case happened to be a middle-aged woman um, who was a foreign national and uh, had had brought people in internationally uh, who didn't know the language and was holding them captive essentially uh-huh. in that business in the middle of our town. When I talked with our one of our local neighborhood enforcement officers who investigates human trafficking locally, I said, you know, well, I, I might be hesitant to call the police because I don't want to accuse somebody of human trafficking if they're not a trafficker. And she said, in Fort Collins at least, she said, A, we need people to call 
because she wasn't able in her position to initiate investigations. She had to get tips from citizens. Yes. So she said, we, we need the citizens to ask us to look into these situations. And she said, you know, we're professionals. If they're not traffickers, you making that phone call is not going to jeopardize them. Yes. It just gives us an opportunity to follow up on a situation. Uh-huh. So that really made an impression on me that citizens really are partners uh, with law enforcement on this issue. And that's why both citizens and law enforcement officers need to be educated on what trafficking is, what it looks like, and what the ethical and appropriate responses to trafficking are. Yeah, and if you are under the impression that trafficking is something that happens only in major metropolitan areas, you are wrong because it is in not every small town, but chances are it's not too far from you. That is absolutely the truth. I mean, the law enforcement I've talked about said, if you think trafficking isn't in your town, that just means that no one's looking for it. Yes. Sadly. Uh One of the upticks that we saw several years ago of trafficking in our town, which is about an hour north of Denver, um, was that there was an FBI task force that was actively looking for um, underage victims of trafficking in Denver. So there was a lot more police attention. Well, that prompted the traffickers, some traffickers, to move to towns like Fort Collins. Um, So yeah, in some cases, when there's an uptick in enforcement, that even makes these communities that you would think would have less trafficking, that makes them vulnerable to trafficking. Uh Uh-huh. And I know it seems to get media coverage around major sporting events, especially, you know, we hear about it, Super Bowl. Women, girls, young men are moved into areas uh, where there's a major sporting event like the Super Bowl. But that isn't the only time that it happens. And that isn't the only time that we need to be vigilant to watch for it. Exactly. Yeah. People who are kind of experts in in trafficking or or work in in anti-trafficking have very mixed feelings about those sort of Super Bowl campaigns. Because on the one hand, it is true that when you have a major event of any kind um, and a lot of people are traveling as visitors, um, being a visitor in a town and having a hotel room and maybe being away from your family and your in your neighborhood makes some people more likely to seek out particularly commercial sex opportunities. And so so you do find an uptick in some cases. But the downside of campaigns like that is it makes those communities feel like that's the only time that traffickers are in their community is if they're hosting the Super Bowl exactly. or the Olympics. Yep. And that's a real misnomer. Um, and that's what trafficking experts want to push back against. Um, the other thing that can be a problem. So there was one anti-trafficking campaign, awareness campaign that was run at, and I think it might have been the NBA finals. It was a big sporting event. And what they did is they, they got a truck, like a pickup truck with glass, with a glass wall. And they staged sex trafficking situations. But the way that they staged it was they made the women look very dirty and chained up and they were being beaten and exploited. And they drove the truck around the event and said, you know, this is could be happening in hotels right next to you. And they wanted to sort of dramatically get people's attention. But that particular campaign, while well-intentioned, 
um, was wrongheaded because that is not what most domestic victims of trafficking look like. Most domestic victims of trafficking, and, and actually one reason why stylists in beauty salons are kind of on the front lines of this issue is they look attractive. Their traffickers, their pimps often pay for nice clothes, nail and hair to be done, even for designer purses and shoes. And that serves two purposes. It serves the purpose of making the young woman or young man think that they're being cared for by their trafficker when they're not. Um, and the pragmatic purpose is it's upkeep of the merchandise. Uh-huh. Um, so if you're going to sell somebody's body, that body has to look attractive. And so the notion that it's only trafficking if you're being chained or beaten. And that also makes victims of human trafficking, people who are being exploited, think, well, if he's not chaining me yeah. up, then I'm not being trafficked. So for a whole host of reasons, that's why how we raise awareness about this issue, the frameworks that we choose, the language that we choose are so consequential because it predisposes us to interpreting the problem and interpreting the solutions in particular ways. Um, can I turn now to raising awareness of what to watch for? If you would like to become a citizen advocate, and you should be just to watch for the signs, there are some particular points in life transitions that um, make people at increased risk, uh, like runaways, like when when um, young adults age out of foster care. Is, is, that, is that true? Yes, that is true. And young adults who might be in foster care situations that are not nurturing, that, you know, unfortunately happens yes. as well. Um, so yeah, so a place where, you know, Commercial sex exploitation in the United States often gets started. 30% of runaways or people, youth who are homeless in the United States, 30% of those individuals will be approached by a trafficker and try to be kind of recruited into sex trafficking situations in their first 48 hours on the street. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, the traffickers are out there and they're they're looking and one of the first and most effective ways that they can recruit somebody is by giving them food and putting a roof over their head if they are homeless. Um, so we here in Fort Collins partner anti-trafficking groups with groups that are responding to homelessness. Again, so that we can meet whatever need needs to be met, you know, whether that be mentoring them into a job, into education, um, safe housing, etc. So that that your community and caring people can meet those needs um, so that the traffickers aren't their best option. Uh One thing that's important, though, to remember about domestic trafficking is that increasingly, and in part because of our online culture and the sexualization of our online culture, it isn't just homeless kids or deeply, you know, troubled kids who are vulnerable. It's also, you know, kids who may have what appears to be a great family situation. We were here in our community, there was a situation where there was a woman and she she was 17 uh, and turned 18 when when this kind of all happened, but uh, we have a, a couple minor league sports teams who are here seasonally in our town. And so she and her friends had become friends with 
players on this team. They had gone, you know, and watched the games and hung out with the players. And and this one particular young woman um, was in a relationship with with a player, and she thought he was her boyfriend. The season ended, and he lived in in California uh, when he wasn't here in Colorado playing playing during the season. And he said, you know, she turned eighteen, and he said, you should move out to California with me. You know, I love you. We should be together. And she was thrilled. It was it was glamorous. It was exciting. And so she voluntarily went out with him. Um, soon, however, and this responds to the question of what signs should we look for. Soon she became, she began communicating less and less with her friends and her family. Her boyfriend wanted to be in sort of constant contact with her. She had to have a cell phone with her and respond immediately to any of his texts or his calls. Um, he became increasingly, you know, less loving and concerned and more exploitative. He wanted her to take pictures uh, that, you know, involved nudity. Then he wanted her to start doing things with his friends. Um, and soon she realized that she was being exploited. But at that point, she was so ashamed, uh, you know, what had happened, that she'd been tricked, that he really didn't love her. And she was afraid to talk to her family. Meanwhile, her family was, you know, desperately looking for her. And eventually they did get reunited and it was because uh, her information went up on a website that was known for pimps trafficking women. Um, law enforcement encouraged her family to look at these websites and see if they could find their daughter. They did Ugh. find their daughter. They, you know, welcomed her home with open arms, you know, just wanted her to be safe. She was able to extricate herself from that situation. Um, but some of the signs that we tell young people to look for in their friends or, or red flags if they meet somebody new is, you know, an older person taking an interest in a younger person, a boyfriend being particularly jealous or possessive and demanding that, that a young person be accessible to them at all times. Somebody who tries to separate a young person from their existing network of friends and family. And then any time sort of compromising information, whether that be pictures, whether that be letters, anything that would embarrass somebody, if, if somebody is trying to solicit that from an individual, that often can be used later for blackmail purposes. And so any of those signs, now in some cases, it might just be a bad relationship, yeah, right? Yeah. That somebody needs to get out of the bad relationship. It only becomes trafficking uh, if somebody is being exploited for commercial or material gain. So, so it might just be a bad relationship, um, but increasingly those are the strategies that traffickers are using as well. And then the other um, group of individuals that are very difficult to find, but are also fall under being trafficked are domestic servants that have come to this country, uh, either promised like an au pair position or something, uh, you know, doing domestic service, help around the house, and then become essentially enslaved. And they're virtually invisible because they're not allowed out of the house. They sometimes don't speak English, don't know anything about the culture, who to ask for help from. Um, and these are very difficult individuals to find. Right. And it's important to, to recognize, too, that 
while we talk about um, undocumented workers, a lot of folks in that situation that you just described enter the country legally and in, in many cases are sponsored by an employer, whether that be, uh, yeah, a person who wants to have this person as a babysitter, housekeeper, or even a business. It was interesting. I was giving a presentation at the USDA, and they told me about a police officer who gave a presentation about human trafficking. And, and the police officer had a buddy, and the buddy was a farmer. And the farmer said to the police officer that he had sponsored um, some workers completely legally to come in and do seasonal work on his farm. Again, that's not trafficking. Um, he was he was paying them and, and what whatnot. Um, but he said, yeah, you know, I actually I collected their passports and put them in my safe because I don't want them working for anybody else. I'm the one who brought them over here. And so just to make sure that they don't work for anybody else or run away, I've got their passports. And the farmer didn't know that that was illegal <laughs> and didn't know that that is actually a move that traffickers make because they're constraining somebody's movement or opportunity against their will by holding their documents. And so, yeah, in some cases, it, employers are engaging in behavior that might be the norm for their industry, but is actually against the law. And in other cases, they are actively working to exploit people who are vulnerable and keep it a secret and keep them detained in their home or whatnot. That's why if you if you are concerned, as I think, you know, many, if not most or all of us are about the issue of trafficking, we also have to be knowledgeable about immigration policies and attitudes that are sort of cavalier or uncaring towards immigrants. Yes frankly, makes it easier for people to be trafficked. Definitely. If we see immigrants as second-class non-citizens or as people that are not deserving of humane treatment, we are making it much, much easier for them to be trafficked. Um, and so immigration policy and anti-trafficking policy go hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Very important right now with the level of discourse about immigration I can't stress that enough. So if you are interested in learning more about how you can get involved in being an activist, being an advocate, Polaris is one website. And you had a couple of other websites that were great resources. Yes. And, you know, potentially you can make uh, these resources available um, to sure. your listeners on your website. A great resource for understanding the problem of trafficking globally is the U.S. Department of State's Trafficking in Persons Report. If you just go to the State Department's website and Google tip reports, uh, trafficking in Persons Report, you'll see it. Um, and every year since 2000, the State Department has done a global survey of anti-trafficking best practices in each country. And it rates countries based on their compliance with anti-trafficking practices. But it also talks about what sorts of trafficking are prevalent in various countries. And so for international trafficking, that's a really good resource. If you are an employer or a service provider, a public service provider, if you work in the health industry or the social services industries, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has an anti-human trafficking page where they talk about best practices for employers and also let service providers know what to look for, what some of the signs are for human trafficking. 
And then we have the National Human Trafficking Resource Center, which is run out of the Polaris Project, which just gives a lot of great domestic information. And virtually all communities of sort of medium size or larger, they're probably going to be local organizations. And so just Googling what might be the local anti-trafficking organizations in your town and getting educated and lending a hand uh, really can make a huge transformative difference. Yeah. So I would just encourage everyone to educate yourself on things to watch for. What are the signs? And then uh, learn this number, 888-373-7888. That is the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Or call the non-emergency number for your local police. And like you said, don't hesitate to call. You know, it it can't, if there's nothing going on, then nobody's going to get in trouble. But if there is something going on, you could be saving someone's life. So I would encourage you to check out the Polaris website and Google human trafficking in your area to see if you can get involved with a local organization, donate money to these organizations that are doing such important work and get involved because it's a very real problem. Well, I just want to thank you, Jennifer, for bringing this issue, um, you know, setting aside time on your program for bringing this issue to to light. Uh, And I appreciate the interest of your listeners who've taken time to uh, become more educated on this issue. Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and all of your great work. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. This week, instead of doing our usual Woman in the Spotlight, I have chosen to read a poem from the Power Poetry website by Rightly Lene called The Killing of America's Girl. I'd like to share it with you. America the Beautiful, you have burned your amber waves, belonging to young girls who were told they would never be beautiful. You have locked them up in caves. How quickly you forget the wars you fought for freedom. You never give, taking instead to build your kingdom. Your flag does not cover the naked girl in streetlight. Her blood red, her tears blue at being sold. Pure white disappearing into the night. She is once again told... Equality will never be her right. She is only good for your hold. America, you keep your majesties in chains. Yes, you are very bold, declaring your rights in sweet refrains. What do you use your money and freedom to do? Only give them pain. I will pledge my allegiance to you because there is some hope. America, I love you, but I can no longer cope. You are strangling girls' freedom for your own pleasure with your own rope. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Women Transcend. 
You can do us a big favor and tell at least one other person about our podcast and how to find us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be sure you won't miss an episode. It will automatically show up in your podcast player. A big thanks to Dr. Karen Anderson for speaking with me for today's two-part episode and to John Philbeck for doing all of the fabulous sound artistry so that we sound so good. Tweet us at Women Transcend or follow us on Facebook. We always enjoy hearing from you. That's all for this episode. <laughs>